Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Wayne Helly, who is the CEO of Peninsula Energy. They're an ASX Uranium Junior with assets in Wyoming, US of A. Their Lance project is their flagship project, and we talked to them about a change of strategy, the reasons why uh, they've changed the strategy and why they didn't do it sooner. They've also raised two million bucks recently and looked at coming up with a solution for their debt with RCF. We'll discuss that. And Wayne is kind enough to go through his views with regards to the Nuclear Fuel Working Group and the 232 petition. Um, and this week's hot news, Cameco's closure of Cigar Lake, or at least the standing down of their workforce for the next four weeks and what the implications may be for that. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Wayne. How are you, sir? Great. Thank you. Where are you calling from? I'm in Wyoming in the United States. It's my home base. The home base. You're a Wyoming boy, but we're going to get into that in a second. But when kickoff gives that one minute overview for everyone new to the story and we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Well, we're talking about Peninsula Energy today. Peninsula is an ASX listed US based uh, uh, company. We have our projects here in Wyoming. And, um, you know, Peninsula took the, the Lance project from uh, conception to production, mm -hmm. which is an unusual characteristic for a junior mining company. Uh, we started our mining uh, efforts in uh, late 2015. And by the middle of 2016, uh, it was becoming pretty clear to management that, that the operations results weren't, uh, uh, they were disappointing. Um, we, uh, Peninsula dug in and, 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 and became more technical and, and by uh, early 2017, um, that led to a leadership change in the company. I was appointed as the uh, CEO and managing director about three years ago uh, in, in early uh, 2017. Uh, we undertook some reviews, uh, technical reviews, and and uh, came to the conclusion that the project would be better served with a low pH uh, chemistry rather than the traditional U.S. chemistry, which was alkaline. Um, since then, we've done uh, all of the regulatory and permitting work uh, to allow us to become the first uh, and, and only U.S. Uh, in-situ recovery uranium project to be permitted to use the low pH technology. We think that'll give us a competitive advantage uh, when we resume production. Uh, Peninsula, like all other um, US uh, producers at the moment, has our project idled. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, let the, thank, thanks for that summary, first of all. Um, can, we, can we just talk about your background? Now, you're a Wyoming guy, you've been there many years, okay? So you worked, you were employee number one at UR Energy. You, uh, I think Lost Creek was your was your uh, little baby. I think you, I've heard you describe it as. Um, and then after that, uh, Christensen, Eric Gary, etc. So you know that part of the world extremely well. Um, so tell us, give us a bit more about you first of all. And then I want to talk about the plan. Right. Well, a long, long time ago, over 30 years ago, I started my career in uranium mining. Uh, I came out of college with a metallurgical engineering degree and mineral processing emphasis and went down to South Texas at one of the last operating um, conventional uranium mills. I uh, spent several years uh, working at the, at the mill as a mill metallurgist and, and then began to uh, 
explore in situ recovery as it was really a growing and, and lower cost form of, of uranium production in the United States. After about 10 years in Texas, I moved up to Wyoming and was involved with uh, uh, Kojima, Arriva, with the Christensen Ranch Project. I, I was project manager there at that, at that time. And um, right around 2004, I, I uh, left. I was frustrated with the prolonged uh, low cycle in uranium markets. It was uh, 16 years into my career, and I never saw a good day of, of uranium markets in my entire life. Um, so, so I explored uh, an entrepreneurial opportunity and, and started a small business with a partner in, in Casper, Wyoming. Uh, but the phone started ringing in 2004. Uranium bulls were surfacing and, and uh, you know, it was clear that I had some, some technical knowledges. So um, I wasn't divorced or separated from uranium, but, you know, for maybe six months as I started building a business of my own. Uh, headed into consulting and ultimately the uranium renaissance period occurred. Uh, I was drawn back into uranium and, and started for your energy in, in 2007. Uh, Wyoming employee number one, uh, if you will, uh, you know, the mission for your energy was to take uh, uh, their properties and permit them, uh, design a mine around them and uh, build a team that, that could do the, the entire uh, prospect of taking a project from conception to production. I was happy to stay with your energy throughout that opportunity and 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 uh, ultimately uh, was appointed CEO at your energy um, for for the work we did. Uh, 2015 uh, stepped aside and uh, went back to uh, consulting. Uh, still good opportunities. Uh, those those consulting opportunities led to uh, my having an opportunity to work for Peninsula Energy. Um, I took a look at, at their project in a unique way, and uh, that ultimately led to my appointment. So, yeah, 30-plus years in uranium. Not a, lot, not a lot of guys doing that. 30-plus years in, in Wyoming as well. Okay, so you, you, I think it's safe to say you, you know the area. You, you've been working in uranium, and you've got projects from conception through to production. I, we, we look for that in management team so i'm just interested that you know you're able to i guess tick that box off for us now you've taken over from gus simpson who's someone i met back in 2011 because i think we we had some we'd papered up a deal for him to and uh he was on his way literally midair um i think we were offering him 80 million bucks of a convertible note but uh he, he while he was in the air fukushima happened so uh I think it was the last of our conversations with uh, Peninsula Energy. Um, so <laughs> I remember it fondly, well, well, almost the, fondly. I have, the, I have the utmost respect for Gus, uh, a terrific entrepreneur. The man built this business, uh, you know, he with his own grit and determination. Oh, some great he stories. made a lot of decisions. Some, no, some great, some, some great stories, uh, especially his his attitude to conferences. Uh, are legendary, uh, but uh, that we'll speak <laughs> of that another time. Um, but you've walked in to a scenario where you, you've taken over from someone who's been there a long time, and you know, this, this is the serious bit: is you've had to change things up, and you have. You've, you've, you've come in with a different approach. So, what did you walk into, and why did you feel you needed to make those changes? Well, the project, you know, has great merits. It has a terrific resource and reserve. It's located in Wyoming's Powder River Basin, where 
you know, it's a great jurisdiction. Wyoming's a good regulatory environment, mm -hmm. but it just simply wasn't putting or um, performing as expected. Uh, you know, Peninsula used the standard uh, operating techniques and standard operating chemistries, if you will, of, mm -hmm. of the Wyoming uh, type uranium deposits, but just simply wasn't getting the right uh, results. Uh, my background in metallurgical engineering and, and process uh, chemistry was, was the asset that I drew on. And we looked at uh, the mineralogy and, and, you know, did a deep dive in, into the project and came to the conclusion that that it needed to have a different uh, process chemistry to succeed. Now, fortunately, that process chemistry isn't novel. It's it's what, um, you know, half of the world's production comes from. You know, <laughs> when you look at ISR around the world. Uh, but, but how do you, how do you if I, I got to ask you, so how do you think that makes shareholders feel, you know, that, that the company was going down a path which you've, you've walked in and in a matter of months have said, this is never going to work, or it's not going to work at the levels we need it to work. So, what was the work that you did to identify that need for change? That, I mean, that that interests me. Yeah, well, we we really did do a deep dive into the mineralogy of the project. Uh, we we took back and, and went to microscopes and and said, is this what we thought it was? And we did find some some subtle differences, some you know some ideas uh, that that this wasn't the same uh, mineral post-mineral predominantly that that was the expectation so uh it was you know it was unfortunate that uh at the time that the project was developed uh, low ph isr in the united states was really thought to be unattainable it was something that you know, most people said really can you do it and the project team that i'm working with had the vision had the had the mindset that Yes, there's no reason why we can't, and we should. Let's do this because it will succeed. Well, I mean, explain that to me because there was a press release that came out on the 10th of March. Okay, so you're saying this this is a a big deal. Now, the trouble with press releases, especially when companies write them within a regulated environment, they're hard to interpret. They're they're hard to work out the the whether they're a catalyst moment or there's any validity to it, or, and they're just too darn technical for. You know our audience, which is retail, family office, and high net worth. So, why are you saying that this is a step change for the business? Uh, well, you know, it, it's it's really a step change for the U.S. industry. Uh, a couple of years ago, if you had said I, I want to do a low pH ISR in the United States, people would have said, "Well, you're you're well, really what is it? crazy." Tell, tell us what it is first. For, for again, for us non-technicals. Well, uh, rather than using the alkaline chemistry, which is oxygen and bicarbonate, um, you know, as, as your chemical agents for injecting into the groundwater, you know, those oxygen and bicarbonate are very benign. Mm. And people can embrace the, the concept of, of putting those into your groundwater to recover a mineral. But when, when you speak of low pH, you know, generally you're using a sulfuric acid or, or an acidic agent. And, mm. and socially, it's, it's a little harder to embrace. So uh, in the United States, for, you know, throughout my career, we always talked about the benign nature of the alkaline chemistry that we employed. Mm -hmm. and, and it really took uh, you know, some vision, some, some thought process to say, look, the world's industry, uh, Kazakhstan, Australia, Uzbekistan, Russia, China, wherever they're producing by in situ, they've embraced the low pH chemistry. And oh, quite frankly, they're doing quite well with it. Why shouldn't we? 
why shouldn't we in the United States as a developed nation take on that chemistry and, and embrace it and, and have uh, better economics and better, better performance? Right, so, why, so in the past, the company has said that uh, ISO or alkaline would work. Did it? Uh, that was the reason for you know the investigations in 2017. The company was disappointed because the alkaline chemistry really wasn't producing at the levels that. Right. I mean, I, my conclusion in re, in looking at the management team and 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 the folks at Peninsula was they're doing everything right. Okay. They're doing everything the way everybody else did. There must be a different a difference, and the difference was in the mineralogy, and that mineralogy is more amenable to the low pH chemistry. But the decision making is by the team, right? The mineralogy has always yeah. been the mineralogy. Okay, that hasn't changed. The decision making is thing that has changed. So, I guess what I'd like your help in understanding is why should investors trust this change of uh, process. Why, why have you got it right now? Whereas you, th you thought you had it right before. Why is it definitely right now, or writer, yeah, that, as some that, people would say? Look, we've taken we've taken the idea to the laboratory. We've taken the idea to the field. We've demonstrated with the field and the laboratory work that this is a successful chemistry with this mineralogy. Okay. We've gone we've gone the extra mile. Uh, another and, and it's a very interesting point you bring. Um, regulating a, an in-situ recovery mine in the United States. I have, I have experience with that, or, or getting it permitted. Uh, it took as much time to get a full commercial license as it takes to get a um, field trial license. So everybody kind of bypassed that step in the rush to production. Uh, you know, once we had this license uh, and we were operating, although, you know, not as successful as we wished, we realized that we could do field trials with our license we didn't have the big licensing step so we did what hasn't been done for many 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 years in the united states and that was we we put a field trial to work on our site okay and is that and what's that going to cost you is it is this process more economic or when will you know some or be able to put some economics around this because clearly it's, you're saying it's a better solution but is it ultimately going right. to make more money well you know, fortunately, uh, you know, low pH ISR is not uh, new to the world, and and uh, you know the supplies and the technology are very much like the in situ recovery uh, using alkaline. So uh, we've already put the, the pen to paper. We've done a, a feasibility study, which was was uh, authored and issued in 2018. Uh, you know, we looked at at some assumptions then, which which preceded our field leach trial. Subsequent to to the uh, feasibility study, we we did the field leach trial, and we confirmed a lot of those assumptions with that trial. So we already have the numbers. The the pen has been put to paper, and and the economic basis for low pH is available. Okay. So with with some peer analysis and looking around the, the, the market, you, you get a sense of what it's going to cost, but you've still got to go through a process yourself to, to confirm that, right? It is. Yeah, we haven't we haven't um, brought the, the project to commercial production. Uh, we believe that additional test work will, would be beneficial. Uh, the initial area that we, we tested in the field was an area that had previously been mined by alkaline and we we did um, significantly improve the uranium grade and recovery from that area. 
we now want to go to a, a fresh area, some somewhere where we haven't previously mined, and and do a field trial and get a full recovery curve uh, from the beginning to the end. Um, that that should support our current assumptions, um, but it's you know we have the time right now uh, to do a field trial. It, it isn't that expensive, you know, probably a half a million dollars at this stage to to conduct a field trial for the next year or so. Right. Okay. Um, so I think we're getting into an area where we're gonna we're gonna start talking about some money and we're bouncing around because there's a few ways to look at this. Obviously, you made some cuts you've reduced your overhead your gna uh, you've, you've had to let some people go i don't i don't think that's particularly unique to uranium juniors at the moment it's a tough place which again we'll talk about so um what did that involve um you know what sort of cuts have you been making you know across well uh you know, unfortunately for our corporate office in, in Perth, Australia, I mean, it meant really reducing the office and and going to, uh, you know, retaining our, our CFO there, but going to contracted services for corporate secretary and, and some of the administrative functions. Uh, that change is being implemented today, and, and we wish those uh, long-serving employees very well in the future. Um, we've also been able to, you know, retain our key personnel at, at the mine site, but bring them to reduced hours and reduced salaries to to control our costs while while we're um, um, you know in an idle uh, condition. And this is a, a different approach to what many are doing. You know, many, many folks are just simply letting letting some of their you know technical and key people go. Uh, ours have agreed to stay on at a reduced rate and and continue to work for the company and and come back when when the time is right. So I'm real pleased to be able to keep the team at the site in intact as as best as possible. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's always a tough time and like you're right, you know, you know, your thoughts have got to go with the people that are that it's affected, but if you don't do those things, the company's not going to be around for very long. I think you can have some very unhappy shareholders. So uh, do not envy CEOs during this period. I've been there and done it myself all too many times. So it's it's, it's unfortunate. Um, you have raised some money recently, not a lot of money, but enough to see you through till when? Right, uh, Matt. You know our our current burn rate now is adjusted down to be about a half a million dollars a month. Uh, we came into this year around five and a half million dollars. We have some revenues. Um, you know, we'll have some some additional uh, expenses, but uh, all in all, you know our. We we could see uh, you know carrying this company forward with our current treasury to you know late this year to the end of the year and you know gee that gives us a lot of time for some catalysts in the market some some changes uh, but you know it's clear without production and without sales you are reliant on the market to uh, to help you sustain your your future uh, we think we're doing the right things and that the market should support a project like ours. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think the answer to your question right now is we see clear to the end of the year. Okay, so December or or fourth quarter. Yeah, that that time frame. You bet. That kind of time frame. You, you, I guess you can, you, to some degree, you can manage that. What what is this uh, income that you talk about? You say have you got some inventory or how does well, that work? No, we have we have contracts. Unlike our our peers, we're <laughs> we're uniquely positioned with sales contracts. Uh, we're completing a, uh, We've just completed a sale to one of our customers uh, this quarter, mm -hmm. uh, and revenue from the sales. 
uh, we have additional sales later this year, which will bring in additional revenue. So uh, we're not wholly reliant on the markets. We have we have assets that that uh, are unusual in the junior mining sector today, and that is some long-term sales contracts. Okay, well, so, so tell us about those. Obviously, you're talking about the arbitrage between buying and, and spot in the market and whatever those contract values are. So you're, what do you think you're gonna, your net sales are going to be on this year's contracts? What's the contribution? Uh, you know, we're, we're probably bringing in four to five million dollars net this year on on the on the um, on the contract. So again, it's uh, I wish it was enough to sustain the company on its own. Um, you know, we're doing everything we can to keep our burn rate as low as possible, and, yeah. and we talked about that already. Uh, you know, we'll do we'll do what it takes if if the uranium market doesn't turn for us. Um, but uh, you know, we we have continuing sales until the year 2030 in our contract portfolio right now. Really, really, yeah, really. Uh, nobody else can talk about that. No, um, well, that, what, what's, can you give me a sense of what that means? 2030. That's amazing, right? First of all, but you know, what sort sure. of quantum? Are we talking at you know three, three, four, five million bucks a year for that time frame? No. No, I mean, we, we talked about net in that, you know, four yeah. or five million dollars. Uh, we're we're going to move to a point where we have 400, 500,000 pounds per year committed sales. Uh, the prices are in the, in the low 50s, 51 to $53 a pound over time. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a great building block for the project. I, but I can't say that, you know, we'd, we'd love to just stay with that. Uh, we want to see uh, commitments for sales in the you know fifty dollar price range, but you know a million or two million pounds per year, not not just four hundred thousand. I mean that's that's your that's your building block. That's your staple beginning uh, contracting level. So okay. you know, we want to be a producer of a million or two million pounds a year. Okay, so that so your 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 marginalized contract is going to depend on when you're going to be able to get into production, what cost what your costs are for production. And in the meantime, if that doesn't happen anytime soon, you're you're in the market that's working out that arbitrage. Okay. That's right. I we, we, the arbitrage works. We we can we can uh, work on the the difference between the spot price and and the contract price for a period of time, but ultimately uh, we're committed to becoming a producer and producing those pounds. Okay, and you've. Um recently reduced some debt, but you've done that with issuing by issuing shares to RCF um, Resource Capital Fund. Um, right. So that's a, that's a kind of paper exercise. Were you under some pressure from them or were they looking at you going this? this, this no, this actually, uh, RC, at, at the time that we did the, um, the issue, um, RCF wasn't in a position to contribute cash and maintain their position in the company. Um, they But they had an interest in continuing to support us. So um, really what, what we did with RCF was uh, brought their, their shareholdings back up to the level they were pre the issue um, by by issuing them shares and, and reducing debt rather than taking cash. Okay, and you did that at 16 and a half cents, which obviously today looks like a, a, a good deal, but you're hoping at some point we'll, they're hoping at some point we'll sort itself out. Okay, um, and interesting. And so they, they, they continue to be a supporter um, who else have you got in there? What are the other big names that we'd recognize? Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, we have a number of them who haven't, um, who, you know, the, your standard um, you know, basket of, of strong uranium funds are, are in our story. Mm. I think you can be assured that. Uh, 
they haven't all elected to you know be named and and so I'm, we're cautious of that but paradise mm -hmm. is a good supporter they own about 10 percent of our shares mm -hmm. uh, you know resource capital funds we talked to uh, are talked about collins street fund is is a, a melbourne based fund who, who's a value uh fund and and they've put a good share in but uh you know when when you look around at our share registry we do we do have good representation throughout the the space from you know this the usual suspects, if you will. Yeah, no, for, no, for sure, for sure. I mean, I mean, given it's a Australian company with U.S. assets, you're based in Wyoming. You produce the the Australian office. Is there any impending change of exchange for you? Is that a concern? Do you think you'll get well, uh, a uh, hearing if you can get onto the U.S. Uh, U.S. listing? You know, I think our, our peers uh, uh, who have U.S. listings are are enjoying a premium over what what we do. Um, you know, for for like uh, projects uh, and like value. You know, their valuations seem to be a little better. Uh, we we do have a, a view that a U.S. listing would be a good thing for the company. It's not that we view that we we'd like to change from Australia to the U.S., but but having a secondary uh, listing and having better access for U.S. shareholders uh, is important to us. Uh, the challenge right now is our market cap, and and uh, you know getting a listing with this market market cap is is uh, well. Frankly, um, not not doable. It's, it's it's pretty tough. I think you know t today it's about thirty million. Um, I'm guessing Australian, which is the same, yeah, that runs about the same twenty million bucks runs the same as the Canadian um, side of things. Okay, so let's let's talk about. No, th thanks for that. Um, let's talk about the market, right? Okay, so your shares, like everyone else, fell off the cliff around two, three, two. Um, as a U.S. producer, I do want to talk about the nuclear uh, fuel, uh, you know, the working nuclear fuel working group because I, I wonder, being an Australian company but with a U.S. asset, do you feel or consider yourself part of the U.S. story? Are you expecting to be able to get contracts uh, once this gets resolved, or are you still yes, an outsider? <laughs> We're far from an outsider. Um, our contract book is with, uh, you know, has involves U.S. and European utilities. Um, we have contracts with U.S. utilities. Mm -hmm. uh, others might suggest that we couldn't get them, but we have them. I think the evidence is to the contrary. Mm -hmm. uh, we're a legitimate U.S. producer. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the ability to, to ramp up our production with a low capital cost. Uh, and we are a U.S. domestic producer. Um, this, you know, despite our uh, ASX listing, uh, you know, if you're going to look at the Nuclear Fuel Working Group and qualifications to perhaps uh, get a piece of the contracting with the U.S. government, we certainly qualify, and we certainly would uh, be in the running to uh, to offer competitive prices to the U.S. government for our production. Did you get involved with the two three two discussions, the petition? Uh, we did not. Uh, we weren't supporters of the petition. Um, okay. We, uh, yeah, we were not. You're not. You weren't supporters. Why? What did what did what did you foresee? Did you foresee what was going to happen, or do you think it was a pointless uh, exercise? Hey, Matt, there's 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 quite a few uh, reasons why we weren't um, supporters. Uh, initially, it was that we weren't invited to the table. Oh, uh, you're huffing. <laughs> we're having a huff. I, 
No, but tell, tell, me, tell me, what what were your thoughts around that time? Because it was a tough time. There were a lot of people who said that yeah, this is right. utter rubbish. It's not a security issue. It's self-interest at heart, okay? And then there's the other side which we're going, this is genuinely a national security issue. Those Kazakhs, those Russians are taking over in our industry. We no longer have a seat at the table. And I, we we have a problem with that. So you, were, were you somewhere in the middle, or were you yeah, one of those? Yeah, I was somewhere in the middle. Thank you for asking. I think, you know, to start out with, I think there is a genuine U.S. national security interest, and and okay. and that footing is fair. Uh, our government is required to purchase domestically produced uranium for mm. its uh, national defense purposes. And mm. if there is no domestically produced uranium, yep. our government has no access to. Um, to uranium domestically produced, period. Uh, so, the, so there is a legitimate national security interest. The problem that we had is, is in the responsibilities. Where's where's the responsibility lie for uh, ensuring that the the U.S. Uh, domestic producers are viable? And the petition really asked the U.S. utilities to be the responsible party. Uh, I think it's the U.S. government that needs to 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 be the party that steps up and and holds up the industry, which is you know uranium's a critical mineral. We need it for our national defense. We need it. Uh, it. It's beneficial for our utilities to be able to utilize domestically produced uranium. We certainly know what supply disruptions about these days with the coronavirus going around. I mean, everybody knows how important it is to have a re reliable supply source and a diverse supply source including U.S. domestic production, should be a valuable component for the nuclear utilities. But to compel them to be purchasing uranium by government mandate from us didn't sit right. Didn't sit right, M meaning you think the market should have worked it, at that out itself, or you thought that it was a pointless exercise because you're, you're stepping into the world of politics? Because that's certainly... Yeah, it seems to have been happening well, since. It's taking a long time to respond. The, the the ninety day came and went. We had extensions, extensions, and now we've got this nuclear fuel working group who seem equally incapable of making clear announcements to the market because just before the market reset and the corona epidemic or pandemic that we're we're, we're all suffering from now, the U.S. government were far from clear. The announcements from you know. The, the two uh, energy secretaries confused the marketplace. I mean, is that is that what you saw coming down the line? Is that a problem that you saw, or it, well, it didn't surprise you in any you way? Know, you know, we've we've evolved in our in our participation. Once two thirty two was in the rearview mirror, uh, and and the and, and the notion of compelling uh, the U.S. utilities to purchase a a portion of their demand from domestic producers was behind us, you know, and, and we could see the light with, uh, you know, the U.S. government uh, funding or, or possibly purchasing directly from from the suppliers, you know, we became more fully engaged with the nuclear fuel working group. Uh, Peninsula has been in, in involved and supportive of the nuclear fuel working group efforts uh, and and the, you know, the 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 president's line item, you know, for for purchasing from directly from us for for stockpile needs or other needs, you know, we support that. Um, we think that's a good measure. Um, 
I think a viable industry in the United States is more than two companies. I think a viable industry really, you know, can be defined by probably five or more companies. So we need to, to make sure that we, we look at what's viable and that's, that's the voice that, that Peninsula has brought to the table is, you know, two companies does not make a viable industry. What, what are you in support of? You said I'm a, you're in support of the US government statement. What do you think they have said? Well, uh, the Trump administration, and and I think this is a product of the nuclear fuel working group. The Trump administration has put into their budget the, you know, the notion of purchasing directly with 150 million dollars a year over 10 years. I like that. I think that's that's a very good start for uh, for the industry. You know, again, you know, with Peninsula having a base load of contracts, if we can. You know, if we can do a little business with the U.S. government at a fair price, that really puts our project on some footing. Okay, but but tell me again, just just precisely, because I have not heard anything. It's like, at what price are they going to be purchasing? Who's getting the contracts? Who's getting how much of those contracts? I say, yeah, there's well, more than two horses at the race. I think Jeff Klander, he thought there might be four. Um, I think Mark Chalmers has said, you know. Maybe he's, I think he's focused on the, the two horses at the race, uh, you know, as his shareholders would want him to say. Um, but how do you, how do you break that down? Because again, it just seemed very vague to me, and I'm not well, I'm not sure I know where the money's going, or indeed where it's coming from. It just ain't yeah, it's not. It, it's clearly not defined. Um, <laughs> it's a budget line item, and and the it's a first time that it's in the budget. And the Department of Commerce, who may be responsible for doing the buying, has said, if the budget is approved, then we will move forward with defining the purchasing process, the purchasing price, the you know who's you know who's who's selected as bidders or who's qualified as bidders. So, so unfortunately, we're a little bit pace. We've got to tell us when, because um, again, the conversations people are looking at the state of US politics at the moment. Obviously, we've got this corona, uh, COVID-19 coronavirus, which is affecting everyone globally. Um, and, you know, nice to see everyone coming together on that one. But people are expecting an announcement prior to that. Um, it didn't come. I think you've got US elections coming up. Right. You've got a whole bunch You're right. of uh, political events happening, which are going to get in the way of decision making, because sometimes these hard decisions don't win votes. So they get delayed and delayed and delayed. But a lot of junior companies, you know, and put you in there, um, are suffering because you're having to string out your budget to the point at which some kind of clue is given to the market. And these very smart utility buyers, these are smart guys, are going to then make their decisions. And that may not work to your timeline. So what's your view of when these decisions get made, when the market gets some... Well, you know, with respect to the budget... um, you know, I think the process does get drawn out until uh, after the elections. I, I agree with that assessment. Um, it's not immediate relief, and anybody who thinks that that $150 million is going to be some form of immediate relief this year is, is going to be disappointed. Mm. Uh, there are other opportunities to provide relief to the industry, and, and you know, it, it, the president has shown his willingness to to, to sidestep the budget process in, in many of his initiatives. Uh, if and when uh, 
you know, things settle down on, on the, on the virus front and, and the economy starts to settle back down to normal, I'd hope that it gets some attention again. But uh, my feeling is that the survival of the domestic uranium industry as a whole is not a narrative that, that has great purchase in the United States. It's not, it's not something that is, has a strong political will behind it. Um, the, the people who are sensible about the, the defense needs for uranium are, are going to strongly argue that we need to do to take steps to keep the industry alive, but uh, you know the um, the public um, doesn't necessarily embrace this as priority number one, and we have to realize that we're 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 second in the queue right now to all the other um, economic initiatives that the government needs to take to keep our our economy afloat. Yeah, it's, it, it, it kind of interests me that there's I mean, obviously most co- countries are quant, you know, doing quantitative easing with billion, trillions and billions of dollars. Um, it seemed like if they were if, if they were minded to last year, they could have done something about it. But I guess they were waiting for the utilities to to drive a decision. So, again, well, do nobody, we, how do you nobody do you man, think, should, should be. Now, hold on. Nobody should be arguing that that the utilities in the United States haven't in the past or don't currently support the U.S. domestic mining industry. I have current uh, contracts with utilities in the United States, and and we greatly appreciate them. Back after the uranium renaissance, uh, you know, I was involved in seeing a handful of U.S. utilities signing with prospective producers. Uh, you know, I, I was one of the, I was engaged with one of those prospective producers. We got great support from the U.S. utilities at a time when we were all just, um, you know, a prospect. They have a piece of their portfolio that they can reserve for higher risk supply. And and uh, the U.S. utilities, uh, many of the U.S. utilities were, were stepping up and supporting the new uranium producers in the United States. You know, a number of us came out of uh, the uranium renaissance period with a fully developed project, a small number. And, and I think virtually every one of them that wanted to had the support of the utilities with contracts. You shouldn't shouldn't make the assumption that the U.S. utilities don't want to do business with us. It's just that, you know, today they are able to purchase lower priced uranium from other supply sources. And uh, the buyers do have a responsibility to uh, select uh, sensibly. Wayne, you've got to say that, haven't you? (laughs) I'm sorry? You've got to say that, haven't you? You've you've got to be nice to the utility guys. But the the truth is they're holding the market to ransom. Explain that, Matt. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, the 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 utility the utilities right now are getting in the market, getting the blame for being selective with, you know, where the, where they buy. They, they don't really care about the the U.S. Um, uranium sector because they can go elsewhere and get that. They can go and buy from the Kazakhs. They they could care less. They don't see this as a security uh, issue in the way that some people are arguing. Uh, no, they're no, you're the, right. The, they, the they, cheapest product going, but so so how is that supportive of a U.S. infrastructure for you know for uranium and nuclear in the U.S.? Well, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, there's a gap between what the U.S. producers are are willing and able to supply uranium at, and what the what the uh, um, you know foreign producers are willing and able to to sell uranium at, and that gap needs to be bridged. Uh, 
it's difficult for a, a fuel buyer to justify paying a high premium for domestic production. I, I appreciate that. It's incumbent on us as domestic producers to find a way to lower our unit costs. That's what Peninsula has really been all about. Our transition from, from alkaline chemistry to low pH chemistry, which is the lowest, you know, the, the world's best way to produce uranium, is all about driving lower unit costs and putting us in a highly competitive position in the market so that we can bid into contracts at, at better prices than, than our peers. Okay, so do you, do you think the demand side of the equation is more at risk because of that attitude um, or do you think the supply side is at risk because of that attitude <laughs> oh uh, I do think that that uh, you know we have to be careful uh, on the demand side that um, that we don't become overly reliant on other sources I, and I think that there is a recognition amongst the fuel buyers that a diversity of supply is a good thing. Um, the challenge for them is to justify the cost of that diversity. But they, uh, the, these, those utility, U.S. utility guys were not backing the two three two petition. They they've got other options. They've got you know natural gas. They've got not, renewables, yeah. etc. Right. They, they they don't have to. It didn't make economic sense for them. So that's what I'm saying. You know, if if you go, you know, made in the U.S. and supporting the U.S. but not necessarily on our dime. It it, it just it just doesn't it seems incongruous to the sorts of stories I'm hearing about you know national security being so important to the U.S. If it's yeah, well, uh, fix it. You got the money. A regulated utility in the United States has to make a rate case in front of a commission. Their rate case is that they did their best at buying. They they purchased material at the at the best market price, and and the commission has to agree with that. If if the U.S. domestic producers don't offer the best price to the regulated utilities how do you make you know how much of a premium will a will a regulatory commission give you for for purchasing uh, it's a it's striking a balance it's a challenge uh, and and i really believe it's incumbent on the producers to get their projects to come to the market rather than force the market to come to the producer's price yeah strange strange market strange market indeed um do you see yourself um, as fundable in the future, or are you more likely to be taken out as an M&A target? I think we're fundable. Uh, you know, we don't have a huge capital need um, to, to return to production. Um, uh, What's the number? Development projects. Uh, well, you know, to, to put our existing well fields, which still have over a million pounds of resource available in them back into production, uh, we're only talking about five million dollars. Okay, that's uh, good. Is that right? I didn't, you know, I didn't appreciate you, that. you know, and, and once we get that going, we got to. Uh, we'll probably need to raise a little bit more money to uh, to expand our well fields. I mean, because you know the cash flow is is not immediate when you put a, uh, a fields back in production, and we'll want to get new well fields built. Typically, a new well field with a million pounds will cost us around ten million dollars. 
you know, we're, we're a company that really doesn't have a huge capital need. We have existing infrastructure. We have the plants. We have the ability to produce uranium. We, you know, we have the employees. Uh, we're, we're situated quite well to, to move quickly, to respond to an improving market and, and to put our projects back in, in, into production. So mm-hmm. are we fundable? I really think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in Peninsula and its projects. Okay, and you've got a three million pound license as well. Um, where do you, where do you, what, so what, tell me about ISR, the, the, the new setup, obviously in, you know, in situ, that's different from conventional. Um, what happens? Where, where does it go when you have done what you need to do with it? Is, is there another link in the chain which kind of affects your ability to um, define or control margin? You know, today uh, Peninsula has and, and sensibly built what, what is a typically referred to as a satellite plant. We, we load resins with uranium and then we rely on a, another uh, company to uh, extract the uranium from the resins and produce the yellow cake. In the future, uh, it's very sensible as we gear up our production that we we bring that in-house. Um, that's something I've done in the past. You know, we built the full plant at, at your energy. We, you know, very comfortable with what it takes to do that. Yeah. Uh, but, but for capital purposes, uh, Peninsula started up with a satellite plant. Um, you know, but we have, uh, you know, the facilities in our neighborhood. Uh, so, so we're relying on uh, a neighboring uh, company to do some toll processing for us, and then that product is the end product from from uh, our neighboring facility is the same as yellow cake from anywhere in the world. Okay, can I finish off on just one one more macro question? The the big one of this past couple of days, Cameco just made the announcement to um, ask their staff to stay away from site for the next four weeks. I think it is, and may extend that depending on you know what's going on uh, under the guise of COVID-19. Do you think that is the case or is this just a chess move on their behalf to push spot market? I think it's absolutely the case. When you have a remote mining uh, operation and you have to transport your employees in mass from one site, you know, from home to the site and they stay at the site for a period of time, um, Imagine being an employee who, who falls ill at the site. Imagine if, if Chemico had, uh, you know, five or six employees that needed to be transported back uh, to hospital care from their site. You know, the, I think the risks are enormous with, with a remote mining site. And, and I think it was a very sensible uh, step that they're taking to protect their employees. That said, I also, uh, I'm going to run against the the grain here, and I suggest that their their uh, their shutdown will be of a minimum duration that they can um, uh, do. You know, a month of production is a million and a half pounds from Cigar Lake. Mm. Uh, you know, the four, so the four weeks shouldn't really dent the market. But uh, remember, 2006, uh, Cigar Lake flooded. You remember, you know that. Anytime there was a supply disruption from Cigar Lake, that voted very well for the, the uranium markets or the price of uranium. But uh, uh, Cigar Lake is a unique mine. They have to uh, continue to freeze the ground uh, in order to keep the water out of the mine. Yeah. Uh, how long is Chemico going to be willing to incur the expenses of freezing the mine 
do you think they really want to endure a long shutdown? I'm going to say no. I'm gonna. I'm just going to say, it's expensive to keep that mine in care and maintenance. It's it's in production because it needs to be. It has the forward momentum, and and I believe they'll be back in production uh, as soon as they can justify it. So and you, it's you, not. Going- you think that's a that's a ge- genuine move, genuine concern, not headline grabbing. Nothing to do with trying to affect the spot price in the marketplace. It, it certainly grabs the headlines. And, and I, I, I contemplated, will it, will it affect the spot price? So, mm. so the first analysis is, uh, you know, was Cameco a spot market supplier? Yeah. No, no. So, so we haven't changed the supply for the yeah. spot market. Sorry. Right. We haven't changed the supply. The second question is, well, then if Cameco is not a spot market supplier, are they a spot market consumer? And the answer is yes. But do they have to buy immediately mm-hmm. because they shut down the mine for four weeks? Probably not. They have they'll look at their contract books and they'll see what they can do. Um, you know, they're they're entitled to half of that production. The other half goes to Arano uh, and, and a few others. Uh you know, all told, you know, Cameco's share of, of four weeks of production is half a million, six six hundred thousand pounds. Can the spot market supply uh, manage another six hundred thousand pounds? I'm going to say yes. So, I think the spot market is going to have an emotional response to Cigar Lake shutting down because Cigar Lake shutting down is a traumatic event in in the life and history of uranium. Uh, you know it. It has scars associated with it. Scar Lake is the biggest mine in the na- in the world, and it does grab headlines when it's shut down. But um, you know, I think I think that Cameco was being sensible and protecting their employees, and and I don't think that they're motivated to maintain a long-term shutdown. I may be proven wrong, but that's my take. We shall see. We shall see. Wayne, that was fantastic. We've we've not spoken before. I've really enjoyed that, and uh, thank you for being so candid with us. Uh, great little project. I, I like the fact that there's not too much more money required to get things going. Obviously, you, like everyone else, needs to get the, the market needs to come back. You need to get those prices there. Um, and hopefully, you know, you will be able to enjoy the fruits of your long-term contracts that you've got in place. Closing, I think we have a competitive advantage. You know, it, it's we're not talked about enough. We're, we're kind of a forgotten company, and, and it's... Uh, it's my job to get the word out, I guess, that, that we are a viable, legitimate producer. So. It, it is. So keep talking. Give us a call if you've got something uh, to say. Uh, and obviously, you know, best of luck yeah. with, in, in, um, with, with uh, what you're doing there at the company. Thank you. No, I appreciate your willingness to take on this interview and, and uh, wish you well with it. Your, your interviews and your audience are, are certainly you know, uh, a, a mover in the uranium uh, space right now. You've, you've become a, a pretty important guy. Well, thank you very much. They, they, they are a smart, smart audience, this. They're very, much more knowledgeable than me and uh, very, very passionate. So we, we do enjoy talking to, you know, you know, people in the uranium space and helping them get access to information they can't otherwise. So thanks again, Wayne. We will speak to you, you again bet. soon. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.